Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Elizabeth Lev. She is an art historian, best-selling author, international speaker, and just within the last week or so has started teaching the University of Mary Rome campus. Thanks for joining us, Liz. Well, thank you very much for having me. Uh, and, you know, today we're going to talk about your recent book, The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph as Depicted in Art, which, you know, I went through this and it was really fascinating. I mean, you know, you kind of know the story or non-story of St. Joseph early in the history of the church, but you really do a very good job of talking about St. Joseph himself and his history in the art world and how it all kind of evolved. Uh, what, what do you, do you have a strong devotion to St. Joseph? What kind of led you to this? Well, it was the Holy Father Pope Francis, who really is the, uh, in the words of Dante, the Galeotto for me and uh, St. Joseph. I mean, um, I really got more and more interested in St. Joseph while writing this book. It all started when Pope Francis declared the year of 2021 to St. Joseph, and naturally people asked me, oh, can you talk about some pictures of Joseph? And when I started to dig into it, it was remarkable how, what a variety of images there were for this saint. And then the more sort of, you know, the art historian in me started saying, well, wait a minute, why does he look, one one period he's got white hair, one period he's got dark hair, one period he looks just like St. Peter, another period he looks like he looks Jesus. What's going on here? And, and really what I found was this development, the 1600-year development to Joseph, which is just so compelling and so beautiful how he goes from being absent in the early history of art to being truly the patron of the universal church. You know, it is, it is amazing how all this evolved when, in terms of scripture and our knowledge of St. Joseph, uh, you know, has been pretty consistent for a long time. I found it interesting, um, you know, when you were looking back, especially early in the book, talking about uh, the history of St. Joseph in art, it was almost like he was a throw-in at times. Like, oh, by the way, we need to have a character in here. Let's just kind of throw him in here. He wasn't highlighted, but he was kind of just kind of thrown into the picture. I know it's even, I mean, in many ways, it's kind of worse than that. Um, he starts out as just not there. So a throw-in yeah. is a step in the right direction. It's like, oh, wait, yeah. wait let's, 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 let's add him for fun. So, I mean, when we look at the earliest nativities, the ones we see, for example, in 4th century sarcophagi, I mean, you can have everything. You can have you know, Mary, a shepherd, an ox, an ass, but there's no Joseph. And then when Joseph finally begins to appear with regularity, there are a few rather extraordinary exceptions where Joseph just bursts on the scene and is sort of omnipresent. But for the most part, the art that is placed under the eyes of the populace of the sort of rank-and-file faithful is a art of Joseph just kind of shoved over in the corner, kind of doing his own thing. And then, and then with the turn of the millennium, we begin to see a, a, an endless variety of what eventually becomes the ubiquitous St. Joseph. It kind of reminded me of how Protestants treat the Virgin Mary, right? I mean, the only time 
you would hear about the Virgin Mary in Protestant or evangelical circles is usually during Christmas and it's a nativity set. And uh, the rest of the year she's ignored. But you do a really good job of showing the evolution and the understanding and, and how important Joseph is to write the story of salvation. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I really felt that this, I felt very, to, the more I began to look at it, the more this amazing story, it fascinated me. So I'm glad that that comes across in the, in, in, in the book. Um, it's, uh, it, 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 it's incredible how many different types of, 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 of saints, how many different types of devotions are really given to, ascribed to St. Joseph over the course of this, this long period of church history. And I, I think your point about the Protestants is well taken. I think the fact that he has 15 mentions in the Gospels, he's got no lines attributed to him at all. We have not a word that he utters. I mean, that kind of, what do you do with this guy who doesn't really, it seems like he's not helping you by not putting himself forward. But indeed, that is the the magic and the mystery of St. Joseph, that because he doesn't come across as a divine, defined character with a distinct voice, it allows him to be malleable, to be able to, to, to strike the right tone for whatever the situation may be. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how the virtues of obedience and humility really kind of radiate from him. And then we can kind of get to know him through, again, not words, but through his actions. Very much so. I, mean, I think um, when uh, Pope Francis wrote the, uh, the apostolic letter, the, the Patris Corde, the, the Father's Heart about St. Joseph, I, one of the things that I found most beautiful to reflect on in that letter was the way he spoke about St. Joseph's creative courage. We feel like that's a new addition to the to the many, 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 many virtues we've attributed to to Joseph. But this creative courage, and that you know, someone who faces uh, extraordinary circumstances and keeps coming up with things to do. He is a man of of action. He's a man of action, but then he's also a man of of receptivity, of dreams, of meditation. So he has this wonderful balance between you know, these angelic experiences he has, these angelic messages he's given, but then he gets up and he does something. So he takes the family to Egypt, he takes Mary as his wife, he goes to Bethlehem. It, it, it's, a, it's a fascinating balance. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever read uh, Father Calloway's Go to Joseph, his uh, really novena to St. Joseph, that it really... You know, re- having done that and then reading your book, and I've had a devotion to St. Joseph for many years, it really, every time you read something and see something, and, and especially with the art piece, is something I've never really put together. It just, it's like a puzzle of Joseph, and we just keep adding pieces as we go along. Well, Father Calway was actually also a very inspirational figure for me while I was writing this. I found his book almost immediately as I started the research for the book, and really his 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 way of talking about the spirituality of Joseph, and in particular, I appreciated, forgive me as an art historian, I'm sometimes a little bit fixated on things, but I very much appreciated his, um, uh, his personal collection or um, uh, patronage of images of St. Joseph, and really I used that 
um, the, that call that he has to kind of bring St. Joseph into our lives through art. And the very end of the book, when I was talking about modern images, so he was very much the, the inspiration of the final chapter of the book. Again, I just think, um, and, and, you know, talking about uh, Father Cowley's book, there, there's a, he had some artwork done with St. Joseph and then all the saints who have had a deep veneration for St. Joseph, like all around him. And, you know, when you start seeing it and you see it in your book, right, whether it's St. Bonaventure, St. Teresa of Avila, you know, whoever, you realize that the saints really had a lot of them had a deep relationship with St. Joseph that helped them grow in their faith and their love. Oh, I, I completely. And, and, and there, and these, these saints, um, to add to that, Bernardino of Siena, um, uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, um, to add to that, the, 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 the saints also help us to uh, expand our understanding of the devotion to to St. Joseph. So St. Joseph may you know, seem like, okay, well, he's Jesus's foster father, so you know, he'll be the, the patron of fathers. But there's so much more, and these saints have really been uh, a critical or crucial in helping us understand how much more Joseph can 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 bring to our our spiritual life. So you know, as the patron of the art of dying well, being prepared for death, the patron of marriage, a patron of of, of really the papacy and it, it's it, the workers. I mean, it just keeps going. And and from a that 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 beautiful humility, as you were saying earlier, that willing to that obedience and that humility that that expands in such a wide 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 array of. Of, of virtues. You started this project and was it one of those things, you know, well, let's just see where it takes me. And what, what, what surprised you the most putting this together? It was a, let's see, I started out with writing just a few little, you know, Alatea invited me to do a few little, you know, what they, thousand word, maybe 1200 word articles as a series of just images of St. Joseph. And then I began to find such such fascinating things. For me personally, I think the the one that I said, no, this has to be a book, uh, was when I discovered a, a whole strain in northern art. So this is art of Germany of the 15th century, where, where Joseph becomes almost like a, a comic figure. He's, he's a figure of fun. It looks sometimes like, like the artist is making fun of him. And it's a, it's a, they're very surprising images. And yet these are images that are meant for devotion. And you realize that in this particular part of the world where sometimes laughter is a kind of veneration, that they're presenting an aspect of Joseph that's very, um, very Franciscan, really in the same sense of St. Francis, who a hundred years earlier had 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 given us this image of um, the fool for Christ? No, say Saint Francis never minded being laughed at for Christ. He didn't mind if people mocked him because in his humble service there was nothing that was too humble or humiliating. And they these artists picked up on this and they created these images of Joseph doing these very silly humble services that allow you to kind of look at him with a sort of indulgent smile. And, and emphasize again the humility of the saint. And with that kind of you know, meditation and thinking, I began to realize well, the, the amount that we can, we, can, we can think about with this figure of St. Joseph, the, 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 the depths that we can plumb, 
it's really very beautiful. You know, and it really is a strange dichotomy because you mentioned, right, he doesn't say any words. He's mentioned, you know, a little over a dozen times. You know, he does, you know, is open through dreams of what the Lord wants him to do. But it really is the world's your oyster when it comes to St. Joseph, when you realize and think of your own life and all the things that he went through, how much he can lead and direct us to his son. I agree with you completely, and I, I also found, and I also appreciated um, the uh, aspect of Patrice Corde, that um, in these times, these, this, these particular years that we've lived through, where I think people more than ever have had a feeling of losing control of their lives, right? Decisions that you used to be able to make and you never, no one, no one questioned them, no one made decisions about where you go out, what you do, where you eat. What you, and then all of a sudden we find that there's an element of control that's been applied to our lives that make us feel very helpless. And, and I found personally, I think what, what really um, uh, cemented or, or, or just fertilized this uh, devotion to St. Joseph was, as the Holy Father made it clear, Joseph had to deal with enormous geopolitical circumstances all around him. He's got Herod, who's decided he's going to get rid of you know all the male children yeah. and, and to get rid of the possible heir. He's got Augustus, who's decided he needs a census because he has to tax his people. I mean, this whole huge thing and in the midst of these these enormous geopolitical things by people who are much more powerful despite the fact that he is the foster father of god he has to you know roam around on a donkey trying to find work to put food on the table and i think it's it's been a very 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 important part of of meditating on joseph on how his you know he focused stuck to the plan and really uh Really, really was able to fulfill his, his his role in God's plan despite the enormous circumstances that are taking place all around him. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point that you make is because you know you can look at the world around us and all the and all the craziness, which you know we're always going to have craziness. But he kept his head about him. He just you know he did what he had to do. It was almost like you know how do you need an elephant one day at a time, one bite at a time, right? He didn't overshoot everything that he was asked to do. Just lived each day, and you know being the least holy of the holy family, that you know he had a lot of light to be led to. Yeah, I think that's that's another one. The another really important aspect that you can see these images, particularly these um, these northern images, or uh, some of the images that were sponsored by Franciscans. <laughs> Perfect way of pointing it: the least holy of the holy family, and he knows it. And how does he participate in this holy family? And yet, you know, what we don't hear is you know, Francis is Saint um, Joseph complaining. And this, in the fact that he doesn't speak, we also don't hear him saying, "Hey, wait a minute! You know, I'm supposed to be raising this kid, and how come nobody's giving me any help?" We just see him solving the problems. And it's a very, as some of the apocryphal stories uh, have a Joseph who grumbles from here from every now and then. But really, it's it, it, the fact that. The Gospels have this silence, allow us to to see in Joseph this stoic, constant, and, and devoted presence to the commitment he has undertaken. You know, I think when people get the book, and again, we're talking The Silent Night, A History of St. Joseph, as depicted in art from uh, Sophia Press. You know, there's a really, you do a really good job of balancing art with words, right? It's not 
a book where all I have to do is look at pictures, but it's it. There's so much depth to the book as you've written it in terms of letting people know kind of the history, what's going on, and how St. Joseph evolved in the church. I thought you did a really good job with the balance. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there seems to be a belief that those of us who study art history just want to look at pictures. But uh, actually, there's some words involved, too. <laughs> I know, I know we have the reputation for art in the dark. So yeah, I, can see, I can see where this comes from. But um, the, what makes the pictures, what makes the pictures beautiful, and in, in my opinion, what makes uh, the glory of Western art, is that because these pictures of, of, of Joseph, of Christ, of the stories of salvation, um, they are pictures that are representing something that is so ineffable, so enormous, so deep and complex, and, 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 and there's always, the art allows us, this great art allows us to penetrate beyond the image in front of us and to contemplate the, the, the great story that it represents. And, 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 and that is really what makes art beautiful. It really it makes it, it draws us to it. And, and so I, I, I tried very hard, I hope it was successful, to try to give a sense of how these images are like a prism. In many ways, uh, the, the images of Joseph, they seem to me like he's a diamond, um, a diamond in a rough, the rough, if you will. But as you turn it, you see these facets and all these different elements that are part of this figure who had such a cru crucial role in the story of salvation. You know, when we first started talking, you, you brought up, you know, sometimes Joseph has gray hair. Sometimes he has, you know, he looks younger with darker hair or whatever. What, what is the purpose? Of that? I know, uh, I know, you know, you got people on different camps, like he, should, he was younger. We should never see him look older, but there was a purpose to why they made him look like they did in their art. Correct. Oh, yes. There is always a reason for why, why Joseph looks the way he looks. What makes Joseph interesting is that he changes so much. So basically, in the third century AD, they decided what St. Peter and St. Paul looked like, and pretty much he stayed the same. But in the case of Joseph, he has undergone tremendous changes. In the beginning, uh, when he when he shows up in more popular art, he's ten, he's shown very he's shown old, sort of an old, almost decrepit man. He's a man who's bent over and kind of huddled inside a blanket, and that type of imagery was really uh, reflecting the principal concern in the minds of the people commissioning art, the people whose whose job it is in the sort of transmitting of the faith to the faithful is that it is essential that uh, the faithful understand that the Virgin Mary was a virgin and that the Christ child is indeed the son of God. And so in order to, to represent that in that particular age, the decision was to make the sort of old, decrepit looking man a figure that would, you know, uh, he looks more like he's, he's Mary's grandfather than anything else. But then there'll be other moments later on in the, this develops kind of slowly, but in the Baroque period at the time of Teresa of Avila and Gracian and others, this awareness of, of self-mastery. Like, why do you have to show Joseph as an old man? Why can't we hold up a role model, role model for men of men who make decisions, who can master themselves? And in this case, this sort of 
long-standing belief that Joseph himself had taken a vow of chastity. So this sort of this this beautiful figure of Joseph shows up, who becomes sort of this long-haired, very virile-looking man uh, who was there to protect uh, the, the virgin. Then there's another moment uh, in uh, the history of the church where the uh, hope is that the Pope himself will take Joseph as a role model. This is during a, a big crisis in the papacy. And the idea is, well, we need popes who are more like St. Joseph. And the next thing you know, St. Joseph looks exactly like St. Peter. I have a favorite one, which is sort of a complete out of out of the blue. It's out of, it's out of center field. This, this, uh, this, um, this figure by Russo Fiorentino, where you have this red-haired, golden, this red-haired, curling locks Joseph. He's just this ridiculously handsome young man <laughs> in the marriage of the Virgin. It's just like, where'd you come from? Even in the painting, the, um, the, the priest who's marrying him kind of looks at him like, where did you come from? <laughs> Who are you? What'd you do with well, Joseph? Pretty, pretty good with that one. Yeah, that worked out good. The Lord was really looking out for you. Uh, you almost got like a King David in his youth. Exactly, exactly. It's actually exactly that's a, that's a really good that's a really really good analogy. I wish I'd put that in the book. That's a very nice analogy. It's sort of a ruddy, handsome King David type. You're right. Yeah, you know, but you did. There's so many beautiful pictures in there. The one that always seems to strike me is you know the death of Saint Joseph by Carlo. Is it Murata? Um, yeah. You know. Just, just envisioning being on your deathbed with Jesus and Mary there. I mean, could you wish for any more? Well, you're, you're pretty certain if Jesus says you're going to heaven, that uh, that's where you're going. And what makes that a very kind of special image is, um, it's, first of all, it was it was made for an empress. So Carla Maratta, who was already probably the highest paid painter in Rome in the late 17th century, really pulled out all the stops for that one. But it's, it's based on um, one of the most interesting apocryphal stories, uh, which is actually called the story of Joseph the Carpenter. And this apocryphal story, which appears somewhere in maybe the 6th or 7th century AD, tells the story of St. Joseph in the first, it's narrated in the first person by none other than Jesus Christ. And the bulk of the story talks about Joseph's death and his terrible fear of dying as a sinner and Jesus's role in, in, in you know, coming and comforting Joseph and also the presence of Mary. And it's a really interesting that in the 17th century, when there's such a devotion to the art of dying well, that they go back to this story and they produce these paintings that are really supposed to be not only a preparation for one's death, but also a way of um, counseling or, or advising the people who are surrounding someone who is dying how they should behave. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it's just the more you read, the more you want to read, right? I mean, I think in this book that you put together with the art can give you a visual where reading a book, you know, imagination's good, but it's really good to see the evolution of Joseph. It's great to see, you know, and hear about this history that, you know, you and you, you really go through the thorough history, right? I think, I forget, was it chapter 11, the missionary man, and you hear about King Charles II of Spain, right, who's invoked St. Joseph for the protection of his monarchy. I mean, he he's the man that people go to for protection and to draw closer to Jesus and Mary. 
Yes, he's yes, he is and, and amazingly he really he disembarks in the new world and actually he, he also is very successful in the in the Asian missions, but he disembarks in the new world and wow, I mean he just he just everybody goes crazy for Joseph in the new world. And so he becomes the patron of many of the new new countries or many of the new new dioceses or countries in the in the new world. Uh, he develops his own iconography. He's assimilated into some of the pre-existing iconography. It's really it's um it's a it's a pretty it, it, it's amazing how versatile he is. I just keep I keep getting I was just so struck by how incredibly versatile he is in those new world images he's always shown as very young sort of young um, uh, uh, gentle I think it's also very important that he's represented as so gentle um, and uh, he's also supposed to be uh, he, he becomes also a patron for sort of marriages that are having difficulties so that's uh, that's kind of a sweet aspect of it yeah and it, you know the, the gentleness is great but you knew like fleeing to Egypt it wasn't like you know he was encountering a bunch of choir boys as he was trying to go there. So he would have been the great protector, which is, you know, why St. Pius IX, right, declared him the patron of the Catholic Church. And there's really, you can't be a patron of anything higher than that here on this earth. Yes, that is, that is, I think, the beauty, um, sort of the culminating factor or the culminating moment in the devotion of Joseph was when Pius IX just says, okay, you know what, let's, let's stop making him like patron of this, 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 this. You can just be the patron of the universal church. He really has a sort of reached the culmination. So from someone who, uh, from a Joseph who was absent, the great absentee in the earliest of Christian art, who becomes the patron of the universal church. And I think that's a, it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful understanding of how a discovering and understanding and, and, and delving into the gospels just keeps growing. Like there's no, there's no end to it. It's like, okay, I know all of it. Don't bother. I don't need to read this anymore. It's just, it's amazing. We can go back and look at that same story over and over and over again. And it just blossoms and grows and proliferates. I mean, that abundance of, 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 imagery of, of grace of spirituality that we get in the gospels that's sort of reflected in the abundance of imagery that we have towards saint joseph yeah and i think you know the more you contemplate the more your mind is open more revelation private revelation will come to individuals and how they can apply their relationship with saint joseph the virgin mary christ you know whoever Right, into their own lives and help them grow in their faith and grow in their love for Jesus. Uh, we only have about, you know, 20, 30 seconds left. How can people find the book? You can find it via Sophia Institute Press's website, which is the uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, publishing house, which which got beautiful paper, wonderful pictures, and, and, and really turned it into a magnificent product where you'll, these great pictures we're talking about, you'll be able to see with tremendous clarity. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.